Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Siebeldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The wellness community recently joined forces with Gilda's Club to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. I want to thank our sponsors for today, uh, uh, Azi and Morphotech. We are going to be talking today about melanoma. May is National Melanoma Skin Cancer Awareness Month, and to kick off the month, we're joined by three panelists who are here with us today to discuss a cancer that will bring over 68,000 new cases this year alone. But before we dive into the discussion, let's take a moment to review some of the facts. Cancer of the skin is by far the most common of all cancers. Melanoma accounts for less than 5% of skin cancers, uh, skin cancer cases, but causes a large majority of skin cancer deaths. Incidence rates for melanoma have been increasing for the past 30 years. In fact, in recent years, the increase has been most pronounced in young white women and in older white men. In the next hour, you will be hearing from three wonderful guests about their relationship to melanoma. First, I'd like to introduce Mary Ryan, who was diagnosed with melanoma in 2008. For the last couple of years, Mary's been an active participant at one of the Cancer Support Community local affiliates, the Cancer Support Community of North Texas. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. Good to be here. We are also joined by Dr. Elizabeth Callahan, a board-certified dermatologist. Dr. Callahan is one of the country's premier specialists in cosmetic dermatology and Mohs skin cancer surgery. Dr. Callahan founded Skin Smart Dermatology in Sarasota, Florida, which has become one of the fastest-growing multi-specialty practices in the U.S. She's also facilitated educational workshops on melanoma at one of our affiliates, the Cancer Support Community of Florida Sun Coast. Welcome, Dr. Callahan. Thank you, Kim. Thank you for inviting me. And finally, we're joined by Tim Tim Turnham, Executive Director of the Melanoma Research Foundation based uh, in Washington, D.C., committed to the support of medical research in finding effective treatments and eventually a cure for melanoma. The Melanoma Research Foundation educates patients and physicians about prevention, diagnosis, and the treatment of melanoma. Welcome, Tim. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So we've got a lot to cover on the show today. We're going to get started. I want to start with you, Mary. Um, will you tell us what it was like when you found out that you had melanoma, what, uh, what, what kind of led to your diagnosis and, and uh, what that was like for you? Yeah, it was kind of an unusual surprise. I had had a mole on my back that had itched for quite some time. In fact, to the point where I had friends and I even had an assistant that said, uh, would you stop scratching your back and, and go have somebody look at it? So I made an appointment with a dermatologist. I did not have a regular dermatologist that I saw, so I was 
just kind of dialing, hoping to get an appointment, ended up finding uh, uh, a doctor who I constantly say that she has now saved my life. Mm. Um, But I found a doctor and went in thinking it was going to be a no big deal kind of thing. And uh, she looked at not only that mole, but some other areas of my body. And this is one of those things where she had a little bit of concern. Um, She did some biopsies. And again, you know, sent me on my way and said, don't worry, we'll call you in a few days. I'm sure it's nothing to worry about. And I was driving home from a meeting late one afternoon, and as I put on my cell phone, I had five messages Mm. from my doctor, and I knew something was up. So the long and the short of it is uh, I went in to see her, and she told me that the one that did um, have the itching, uh, related to it was, in fact, a malignant tumor, uh, fairly large, seven, um, seven millimeters and, and fairly deep inside my back. And from there, it was, you know, the way I describe it is that everything slowed down and yet everything sped up mm-hmm. all at the same time. It's, wow. It just kind of, you know, I was thinking I was just going in for a, it's no big deal. She was going to tell me I'm getting older and my skin is dry and it's springtime and put some more hand lotion on. And um, then to find that out and and to not know the in and outs of exactly what melanoma is all about was the most frightening. Because I had, yeah. I had heard of skin cancer. I think a lot of people yeah. have. and. Yeah. And it's, you know, kind of one of those, oh, well, yeah, so-and-so had a thing on their arm and, you know, it was, it's not that big a deal. And then when she started uh, educating me on it and I learned about the serious nature of it, especially when you're further along in in, um, finding it out, it was, it it was shocking. It was, it was, you know, I, I just kept thinking, what in the world? I mean, how, where did this come from? Yeah. So, 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 Mary, I want to come back and talk a little bit about what that process was, diagnosis and treatment. But let, let's go to the, the, you know, the issue that you raised, which is important, with Dr. Callahan. Um, the difference between skin cancer and melanoma. Again, I think a lot of people think that they're the same thing, and uh, you know, obviously not. Dr. Callahan, can you uh, give us some basic understanding of the difference between skin cancer and melanoma? You know, absolutely, Kim. It's um, it's a very common uh, discussion they have with my patients. And, and really what I like to do is, is simplify to some degree that there are really three major types of skin cancer. There's basal cell carcinoma, squamous cell carcinoma, and then there's melanoma. And people do get them confused. Um, by far, we see many more basal cells and squamous cell carcinomas. They're the more common forms of skin cancer, very much sun-induced and very common. Um, typically, they kind of behave the similar way to the melanoma that Mary had. They itch, they might bleed, but they're, um, they're certainly less serious. Basal cell is a, is a very common, over a million people diagnosed every year with basal cell, mm-hmm. treated very easily in the office with local therapies, uh, very unlikely to metastasize. Then mm-hmm. the next level up would be squamous cell carcinoma, um, a very common form of skin cancer, a slightly more serious form, has a bit more tendency to metastasize and needs to be treated. And then third and finally, we have melanoma, which really is, is different in many ways from the other two. It's derived from a different cell type. Um, it is, uh, can be a much more serious form of cancer. Um, but like all cancers, it's staged by the depth of invasion. So, there are, you know, when you say melanoma, you get that diagnosis melanoma. 
Obviously, there's some other details we'll, we'll talk about that help you sort out what the differences yes. are. But basically, melanoma is really the most serious form of cancer as far as skin is concerned. So let's go, let, but let, let's go for a moment then to the signs and symptoms of, uh, of melanoma or with any of these skin cancers. You know, what, what Dr. Callahan, are some of the things that, you know, that, that patients should be looking for in their skin or changes in their skin that would prompt them to go and, and have something looked at? Well, I think Mary's, Mary's story is really characteristic and typical, that sort of that itch does, that doesn't go away. It's almost like your body's sort of telling you that there's something there that needs to be checked out. Uh, it could be a bleeding a, a lesion or a pimple that, you know, kind of a pimple that doesn't heal, so to speak, or something that just doesn't go away. As far as melanoma is concerned, we do have some guidelines that we recommend to patients and explain when we do our exams, and that is the A. B, C, D, and E's of melanoma. Uh, so kind of just like the alphabet. Okay. I can't tell you how many times the A, B, C, D's bring patients into the office because a spouse noticed something on their back or a physical therapist noticed something that just didn't quite look right. And to kind of go through what each letter means, yes, A stands for asymmetry. One half doesn't equal the other. Something just, if you divide the lesion in half, there's an asymmetry. B means irregular borders irregular kind of like Costa Maine kind of borders, that's a jagged borders. C, color, could be a very, very dark black lesion or maybe have some zones of white or pink in it. D, diameter, the lesion's growing. It's perhaps bigger than a pencil eraser. And finally, E, E may be the most important one and the most newest addition to the alphabet. E stands for evolution. That means something that's changed, something that was small, maybe the pinpoint of a pencil that's grown, gotten bigger, just doesn't look right. Kind of like when you look at your skin, it's the thing that stands out, doesn't look right, doesn't match the other molds in your body, and it's growing. And Dr. Callahan, it's interesting because in retrospect, I had some of those things going on, but not all of them. The, the biggest dilemma with my, where this mole was located is I only realized afterwards how much it had grown because it was something I wasn't able to see myself. And I, I think if I had had a significant other in my life at the time, they probably would have uh, been saying, you know, hey, this is, this is bigger than it used to be. Mm. Um, yeah, location can be tough. Um, factually speaking, um, back is the most common location for men. And interestingly, legs are the most common location for women. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. So I, I love Dr. Callahan. I love the you know the, uh, the the alphabet. And again, for folks just joining us or um, who were maybe running to grab a pen, mm-hmm. I just want to go through uh, go go through this again. So um, A, uh, these are the things that folks should look for on their skin. A is asymmetry. B is uh, irregular borders. C is a change in color. D is the change in diameter, so it's growing. And and E is the the uh, evolution. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? That's correct. Great, excellent, excellent. And can, um, can I give? Um, can I jump in with one last little tip that my dermatologist please. taught me? Absolutely. And it's just because um, you know she she is now an expert at every inch of my body and <laughs> has has taught me certain things too. But one of the things that she uses kind of as a almost as a layman's tool is she goes by the one of these things is not like the other. Mm-hmm. Kind of standard. So, if you look at your body, and if you, you know, if you look, I'm a very moly, freckly person, fair skin um, with a lot of freckles, and always have been. And for the most part, they all have kind of the same color. 
they all look, you know, generally speaking, look unremarkable. And so when something new grows, and it usually always is a very odd color, or it's asymmetrical, or it just looks out of place, yeah. it really yeah. does catch your eye when you realize, that you, when you think about looking at stuff like that. So it's, a, it's really, it's a Sesame Street approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One, One of these, these things, things is not <laughs> like the other. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Ugly duckling sign, we call it. Uh, okay, got it. All right, let me pull Tim into the conversation here. Tim, uh, let's talk about different types of treatment available for uh, for melanoma. What are you know kind of the standard therapies that we're looking at here? Well, of course, if, if the melanoma is caught early, the best treatment is surgery, and, okay. and surgery is considered curative if it's caught early, which is again the emphasizes the importance of paying attention to your body and, and exactly what your other guests have said. You know, something that looks different, something that's changing, get it checked out. Because once, once it has progressed, once the melanoma has spread to the lymph nodes or to other parts of the body, yeah. then you're faced with a major, major challenge. And uh, chemotherapy that works in a lot of um, cancers does not work very well at all in melanoma. Maybe 5 to 10% of people get some kind of response from chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. For years, people have been trying to use immunotherapy to get the immune system ramped up to at- attack these cancer cells, and that's been marginally affected. One of the uh, approved drugs maybe has a 3% advantage in terms of survivability. Another one, which is a very rigorous, difficult treatment, maybe um, 4% of people are, are really effectively treated. Maybe another half a dozen or so percent have some kind of a treatment to it. There's a new drug that was just approved for the first time in 13 years. A drug was approved for melanoma. That was approved last in, in March this year. Um, it also is an immunotherapy drug, but even the, the, that drug, which mm. there's been a lot of excitement about, it's about a 20% response rate. Uh, so the challenge has been significant in terms of treating uh, melanoma. A lot of things might work, but there's no one thing that definitely will work. So, Tim, we just got a, min- a minute, or, minute or so until the break, but um, what, what, do we know anything about why, why this is such a challenge? Do we know anything about why there's, you know, it's such a slow kind of treatment or drug development process to bring new therapies uh, to the market for melanoma? I think it's a couple of things. One is melanoma is remarkably sneaky. Uh, and a lot of tumor types, only about one cell out of ten has the ability to form a new tumor. In melanoma, every cell has the ability to form a new tumor. So it's particularly aggressive. And, and yet these cells are cells in our skin that are accustomed to growing and moving around and spreading. And they do that very, very well. And they hide very well from the immune system also. And I think there just hasn't been quite enough attention focused on this by the research community. Unfortunately, that's changing. There's a lot more attention being paid to this, a lot of new things coming down the pipeline, and we anticipate things changing in the future. Great. We're, going to, we're definitely going to talk a little bit more about that on the show today and what we're seeing in the pipeline and, and some, some promising things that, uh, uh, that are coming along. Um, May is National Melanoma and uh, Skin Cancer Awareness Month. We are talking about melanoma on the show today, frankly speaking about cancer. Uh, I have three uh, terrific guests with me. We are going to talk about uh, diagnosis, uh, treatment. We're going to talk about managing side effects. We're going to talk about how to find support uh, if you have been diagnosed with, uh, uh, with melanoma. I know we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, some of the signs and symptoms and what to look for in terms of changes in your body and in, in, uh, uh, in your spots and your mold. We're going um, to take a, just a quick break 
here on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to come back. I want to, I want to uh, after the break, Dr. Callahan, I just want to go back and review that A, B, C, D, E uh, of looking for those kinds of changes on your body because I think it's uh, uh, so important for folks to know and to understand what changes and what differences uh, that they should be looking for. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. May is National Melanoma Skin Cancer Awareness Month, and to kick off the month, we're dedicating today's show to discussing a cancer that is on the rise around the country. I'm here with Mary, Ka- Mary Ryan, who is living with melanoma, Dr. Elizabeth Callahan, a dermatologist based in Sarasota, Florida, and Tim Turnham, Executive Director of the Melanoma Research Foundation. So, so Tim, let's go uh, back to the conversation that uh, we, were, we were having before the break, especially for some folks who may be just joining us. Um, you, you said that there's a new treatment out on the market, for, for really first treatment for melanoma in about 13 years and maybe some other promising things that uh, are in some other p- pipelines out there. So tell us again a little bit about the new treatment that's out there, uh, you know, w- what it is, what it does, and, um, and, and, and uh, maybe t- just talk a little bit about what we might see on the horizon in terms of, uh, you know, the future of treating melanoma. Right. So, I mean, this is very exciting news for the melanoma community. Uh, at all of the big uh, research cancer meetings that happen year after year after year, researchers have stood up in front of people and said, we've tried this in melanoma and it didn't work, or we've tried that in melanoma and it didn't work. And every time a promising drug popped up, uh, further studies would show it just did not work in melanoma. Last year in June, um, a person stood up in front of hundreds and hundreds of people in a large room, a researcher, and said, I'm happy to report that for the first time ever, we've done a major study in melanoma and can show a drug has overall survival benefit. We found a drug that helps people live longer with melanoma. Mm. And it was an electrifying moment. And um, this is a drug that we'd all been following pretty carefully. Yes. Seeing this data presented was great. And on March 25th this year, the FDA approved that drug for the treatment of metastatic melanoma. 
and it's the first drug approved in, um, in 13 years. Uh, the drug just very quickly is called Uravoy. It's a difficult name, but uh, mm. called Uravoy. It's, it's uh, made by a company called Bristol-Myers Squibb, and um, it's an immunotherapy drug. Basically, it helps your immune system find and attack um, melanoma cells. So melanoma cells have a little compound that they... they um, they excrete that, that makes them hide from what are called the T cells of the immune system. So those cells can't attack them and get rid of them. Mm. And this drug kind of blocks the function of that so the T cells can, can see the uh, tumor cells and attack them. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz when they pull the curtain back. Uh, this drug pulls the curtain back on the tumor cells so people can, uh, the body can see it for what it is. Mm. Mm. It is exciting. Other, um, some other promising things that we see in research uh him? Well, there, there are, and there's a whole new approach to treating melanoma and actually a number of cancers. It's called targeted therapy. And instead of trying to get the body's immune system ramped up to attack the tumor cells, these kinds of therapies go into the tumor cells and shut down the mechanism that allow them to grow and divide and spread. And so uh, there's a drug that, uh, that goes in and blocks this particular compound called BRAF, and it turns out about half of people with melanoma have a mutation in, in this gene that causes that compound. So by blocking that function, um, the idea is it will shut down the tumor cells, and the early data are very uh, promising on this. It's shown that of the people who take it, about 60% respond to the drug. And uh, there's every likelihood that that drug will be approved later in 2011. So after a hiatus of 13 years with nothing be approved, it's yeah. very likely we'll have two things approved this year. Yeah. So, um, so, so Mary, I, I want to just go back to your story. And we opened the show, and you, you're telling us about your diagnosis and really a spot and an itch on your 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 back that turned out to be melanoma. So they've di- they diagnosed it as melanoma. Did you tell us? Did, did you? Were you then referred to an oncologist? Did you get a second opinion? How did you? What was your What was your course of treatment? Tell us a little bit about about what that. Take us a little further along in your story, Mary. I sure will. It was it was quite a scary situation because my dermatologist was so concerned about the size and the depth and the thickness of the tumor that she said, uh, in essence, she said you need to be in surgery this week. And I had seen her on a Tuesday. And she said, I'm going to make some calls and see what we can find out. And, you know, this is one of those situations where you don't have a Rolodex ready to go of possible Mm. surgeons or possible oncologists. And, you know, I I had probably some of the finest um, doctors in in the city where I live uh, at working on me, and, and I don't know if that was just a fluke or the universe talking to me and helping me out, or if um, my dermatologist was um, aware of how great they were, but she referred me to a surgical oncologist, and in the course of a couple days, we I got a PET scan, which is, you know, this is one of those funny things. Suddenly you learn a whole new language that you never knew existed. I had heard the term CAT scan, but I had never heard PET scan. But he said, you know, you need a PET scan. We're going to do this thing called sentinel node biopsy. And, you know, all these terms are getting thrown at me. And in the meantime, I'm, I was just saying, okay, 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 let's just go. Let's do it. Um, let's get this taken care of. Yeah. And I was in surgery Friday of that week. 
Mm. And um, then post-surgery, my surgeon referred me to an oncologist who ended up, you know, again, just being at the top of his game. He, He was just so great for me to work with and and have in my corner. Um, We determined, uh, my oncologist and I determined that based upon the the thickness and the size of the tumor, that the best way to go would be for me to do um, the therapy called, uh, or the chemotherapy called interferon. Mm -hmm. And it's a brutal drug, and it's, um, you know, it's just so exciting for me um, to hear Tim mentioning the things that are hopefully coming out to market for people who get diagnosed in the future because it's a rough, rough, rough go. And at the point I was diagnosed, and I think Dr. Callahan could talk to this too, um, you know, there was debate. He was saying, you know, look, you could go through all this and it's going to be very hard on you and it may only move the needle from 37% to 39% um, you know, survivor rate for five years. And I'm one of those people that no matter which way it would have gone, if I did the therapy, which I did, and then had things grow afterward, which they did, um, you know, you kind of beat yourself up over, well, then why did I go through that trauma? But if I hadn't chosen to do the therapy and things had still grown and, and spread, I would have kicked myself for not yeah. For not giving it a try, so I didn't end up doing that, and um, I was only on for a few months. I had tremendous, tremendous side effects, and there was a certain point where my oncologist shut it down and said, "This, your, the, the, the benefit for you continuing on this does not outweigh what's happening to you." And what were what were those side effects, Mary? It's, it's. I'll tell you, the toughest thing about the drug itself is that. Um, for it to work, what it does is every single day you go in for for your chemotherapy, and um, the nausea was one of my side effects, but not as great as what I think some of the other cancers um, drugs have to deal with. My biggest thing was that each night the, the point of the drug would be to uh, make my temperature spike. And so each night... It would go up to 102, 103, mm. and it was a matter of having to um, kind of sweat it through, and that was how the drug was kind of um, working. And then, you know, the next morning I would, I would feel kind of run over by a truck, and then it was time mm. to drive back to the hospital and do it all over again. And so that, you know, over time, the body temperature spike, I mean, it led to so many things from from skin problems to I started having organ problems with my liver and kidney mm. to, um, you know, mental health issues. I, as part of an adjunct therapy, um, a word I learned going through all of this, <laughs> <laughs> um, was uh, I had to be put on a on a enormous dose of antidepressants because mm-hmm. it just, you know, the, your body starts saying, knock it off. Yeah. I can't take anymore. So yeah. it was just, it was bad. I mean, I had a strange color to my skin and mm-hmm. was unable to work. I fortunately worked for a great company, so I had a good um, plan where I could yeah. take some time off. Well, so, Dr. Callahan, so, uh, you know, I want to, you know, so Mary talked about obviously a shocking you know, experience a shocking moment. You're told you have cancer, um, and you know a lot of folks just shut down. 
at that point. Um, but before we go to, to break in just a couple minutes, can you talk to us a little bit about some steps that patients can take to make their doctor visit more meaningful, more more uh, more productive once they get past that initial shock, some mm-hmm. ways to really make that, that visit meaningful? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's important. Um, every patient in, in my practice that, you know, if we uh, can accommodate them, we allow for them, we actually ask them to come in. So we can actually explain the diagnosis, obviously, in person. I think the important thing to say is that there, there are many um, types of melanoma, and melanoma is prognosticated or predicted or the severity of melanoma is really based on the depth of invasion. So there really are many different types of melanoma, and I just, I just mm. wanted to clarify that. So the first important thing is when you get your diagnosis of melanoma, take a deep breath and um, plan to have a visit to come in and meet with your dermatologist. Um, and this is important, and I'm sure you've said this before in other shows, Kim, but bring someone with you, if you yeah. can, a relative, a note-taker, an advocate, someone who can do all the note-taking so that you can completely, you know, listen and be present as much yeah. as possible. I know it's very difficult at a time like this to collect all the information, but it's really important to have someone there with you who can help you and support you because um, you're going to be thrown a lot of terms depending on the depth of the melanoma. Yeah. And most likely there are going to be three people on your team, which it sounds like, Mary, this was the case. You have your dermatologist, and then you have your surgical oncologist, the person who actually does the surgery and the lymph node biopsy. And then third, you have your oncologist, the person who continues to follow you. So you really have three doctors. And in yeah. most people's situation, they're not under one roof. They're not all together in one institution, although some people, they maybe that works out great, and that's a very coordinated way to do it. So I guess my advice is to, especially with all the appointments that you may be having, um, you know, keep notes. Maybe um, develop almost a notebook for yourself where you yes. kind of take, keep a record of the different visits. Keep tabs in the book. Um, mm-hmm. I make sure that all my melanoma patients get a copy of the biopsy report because I want to educate. I want them to know what their depth of melanoma was and what that, what that means. And um, keep copies of all your pathology reports. I think, that that, I think it's important to be proactive about your health. Um, I think it's important to keep everything, especially if you're going from um, doctor's office to doctor's office. That, to me, is, is really important advice. And, you know, know your me- simple things. Know the medicines you're on. Know the allergies that you have. Because yes. Go to different offices. It's really important to know those things and provide the physicians with that information. I think that's, I think that's great advice. And, again, for folks listening, taking some notes, um, and, and I think what you're saying really applies to so many cancers. But really, ha- have that person with you, a, a caregiver, a friend, an advocate, someone who's willing to help you kind of navigate it because it can be a very overwhelming experience. Take notes. Um, and, and really, we also tell folks, really think about those questions in advance. Um, you know, as questions come to your head, keep that into your head. Keep that notebook handy. Um, you know, uh, as questions come into your head, write those notes down, jot them, jot them down, jot down your questions so that, uh, you know, when you get in uh, to that doctor's visit, you really feel a little more organized, a little more prepared. Um, and, I, you know, we also tell folks, listen, there's no stupid question. This is your life. This is your health. If you have questions, you've got to get them out there. If you don't understand something, tell the doctor, I don't understand. Can you please slow down? Can you spell that for me? Um, you know, don't, don't, don't feel intimidated in that visit. You really have to ask those questions and, 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 you know, get to the answers that you need. But just being as organized and prepared as you can going into those visits, um, we know certainly helps, uh, helps to make the visits much more, uh, much more efficient. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. May is a National Melanoma and Skin Cancer uh, Awareness Month. We're talking about melanoma today. We're talking about the diagnosis, the treatment, managing side effects. We're talking about some new therapies. Uh, that are coming down the pike, and um, we uh, have three wonderful guests here. We're just going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health and Wellness. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I want to thank uh, two of our sponsors for the show today, Genentech and uh, Celgene. We certainly couldn't do the show without all of our generous sponsors, so we thank them. I uh, just want to remind folks that May is National Melanoma Skin Cancer Awareness Month. To kick off the month, we're dedicating today's show to discussing a cancer that is on the rise in this country and, and in particularly affecting uh, younger women, older men. We're seeing uh, increase in those diagnoses. I'm so pleased to be joined today by Mary Ryan, who's living with melanoma, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Callahan, a dermatologist based in Sarasota, Florida, and a, uh, a partner with our uh, affiliate down there on the Sun Coast. And Tim Turnham is the executive director of the Melanoma Research Foundation, also a, uh, an important partner of the cancer support community. Um, the uh, cancer support community provides information on melanoma. We've got a wonderful educational booklet called Frankly Speaking About Cancer with a focus on melanoma. Uh, this booklet is available. Uh, you can order it online at cancersupportcommunity.org. It's a free 
Uh, it's a free booklet, so you can log on and order uh, order that free piece and have some wonderful uh, up-to-date information about melanoma. Uh, Tim, I, I want to jump back in. Uh, you know, I know we've talked a little bit about the fact that there's a new treatment that's come out um, called Yervoy that uh, uh, first treatment to come along in quite a long time for melanoma. Um, some other treatments that are looking pretty hopeful um, in, 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 in late research and hopefully coming to market soon. But I just want to back up and I want to talk for a minute about the issue of clinical trials. Uh, Tim, we're always trying to educate our listeners about the importance of trials. And so I'd love for you to talk for a minute about, you know, maybe just a quick education on what clinical trials are in cancer um, um, research and really the role of clinical trials in, in, in treatment for melanoma. Right, so I think there are a lot of misconceptions about clinical trials, and unfortunately a lot of cancer patients are not offered the option of, of exploring a clinical trial as a, a course of treatment. The fact is, until Yervoy was approved uh, in, in March of this year, the, the best chance you had of, of beating melanoma was to be found in clinical trials. I mean, there are promising things coming down the pipeline that are only available through clinical trials. And I think this goes back to some of what, what Mary was saying when she, she talked about having a great treatment team. It's so important when you're dealing particularly with metastatic melanoma, advanced melanoma, that you have a really good treatment team who are aware of these kinds of treatment options. And so even now, the, the new drug that was approved helps about 20% of the people who get it. Uh, the drug that's likely to be approved later this year helps about 60% of people who get that drug, but the, the average, the median duration of response is measured in, in terms of months, and then people build a resistance to it. Yet there are things being explored in the clinical, clinical trial realm that are, that are uh, addressing both of those issues. How do you get more people to respond? How do you help the responses last longer? And, um, and so these are options that are available to people, and, and they should be explored because it, it really is an opportunity to live longer and better. And so, Tim, I think it, you know it's important for our listeners to know that with most clinical, I think that I think a lot of people think that when they hear the term clinical trial, that you're either going to get a, tr- a treatment or you're going to get a, a placebo, a placebo, exactly, or a sugar pill, right? Yeah. And I think that that it's uh, you know one of the things we're trying to do is just combat you know that that myth for people. And really, in in most cancer treatment studies, you're either going to get the standard of care, so, you know, whatever that standard is, or you're going to get the standard of care plus or something that really is showing some, 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 some promise. Exactly. And, and the interesting thing about melanoma is, you know, I said if you catch it early, it's curative uh, through surgery. If you catch it late, you have to go into this whole morass of different treatment. But the in-between stages, in some ways, are, are really challenging for people because for most people, if you have, for example, lymph nodes that are involved and you take the lymph nodes out, the standard of care really is observation just to watch and see if it comes back or not. Mm-hmm. So a clinical trial might offer something to do that might improve, improve your chances of, of avoiding this in the future. Um, and then if you are in a clinical trial for metastatic melanoma, you will either get the trial drug, which has some uh, uh, promise in terms of treating you, or you'll get the standard of care, another, another treatment that is approved and is uh, readily being used. So you will not get a placebo in that kind of case. I mean, it would not be ethical for a doctor to say, well, we're just going to give this person nothing or a sugar pill right. and, and see how long it takes them to die versus something else. Doctors just would not put up with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, we just we have to get that out there. Um, you know, there may not be a trial for you. We, you know, we're not saying there's a trial for everybody, but as you're kind of making these decisions and you're, if you're being diagnosed, we certainly encourage folks to say to their doctor, might there be 
a trial that's right for me and just engage in that conversation. Right. I know, um, a, man, I know a man right now that's been free of his melanoma for about seven years because he was on a clinical trial seven years ago, and the drug didn't work for most people, but it worked for him, and mm-hmm. he's had no cancer for seven years. And I think that, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more in cancer research and cancer treatment, there are going to be certain subsets of patients that do respond to certain therapies, and sometimes we're not really even sure why. That's right. Uh, you know, why that's happening. And, and even, you know, we're learning so much about different, you know, g- genetic mutations and different, you know, issues that may be the reason that somebody is responding, and, and sometimes we haven't even discovered that yet. Um, uh, Mary, I want to go back to your story, and it's important for me that, you know, we're getting this data, we're getting great information, but it's important for me that we continue to, to follow your story um, as, as we progress through the show. So you talked to us about that you, you know, went on to a, a medicine that really was intolerable. The side effects were just having such a dramatic physical impact, impact on your quality of life, really how you were feeling emotionally, um, that the doctor said, look, it's too much, we're going to stop this. So, so, so tell, pick, pick, pick back up for us. Tell us at that point then what happened. Well, and it was a, it was a wait and see kind of thing and it's interesting that Tim mentioned something that ended up being uh, an issue for me I was um, although I was in shock when I was having chemo every day and appointments twice a week and having my blood taken every day and doing things I felt like we were combating the melanoma I had to go through a phase where until I could get my next pet scan, there needed to be X amount of time. And I can't remember if it was six weeks or uh, maybe even two months, but my oncologist said, you know, we need to make sure all of the interferon is out of your body. And so during that time, I still saw him, I still saw my dermatologist, and we still, you know, kept up with biopsying uh, new new things that were found. But it was the... um, it led up to a situation where I had another PET scan and had all kinds of bad things come up on it. It looked like I had um, dark spots on my liver and on my kidneys and in my chest mm. cavity and ended up having um, yet another surgery and and fortunately ended up with a fantastic surgeon there, too. He had a specialty in, in um, the chest cavity area. And so as those lymph nodes were taken out, um, they were biopsied as we went. So he was able to tell, you know, pretty much on the fly while I was under, yeah. um, which ones were malignant and which were um, benign. But the tough thing about it um, afterwards is that they determined that a lot of what showed up on the PET scan turned out to almost be a false, a false read because of how much damage I had um, taken to my body as a result of the original treatment. So it was kind yeah. of good news, bad news, that it wasn't as significantly far gone as, as what they originally thought. Right. Right. But also, um, where Dr. Callahan and, and you both talked about the keeping the documents together and whatnot, yes. it is so true. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I most appreciate um, my local cancer support group for um, a originally went under the name Gilda's Club and, yes. and now is part of the um, nationwide network of cancer support. They have, for um, people who go, um, they have this wonderful kind of folder 
um, organizational tool yes. that they hand out to everybody, and it's a lifesaver. Even though I didn't, I was not physically able to go to support group meetings or events until kind of, you know, a few months down the line. I I had all of my stuff just kind of, you know, in drawers and yes. and things, and I um, was able to take the time and organize it all, and it was, you know, it That's was great. really beneficial. That's great. It's That's such great. a great, yeah. yeah, such a great gift. Yeah, it, it is so it's so important to keep all those pieces organized. It'll just help you, you know, feel like you're really kind of, you know, on top of this and, and that you're educated and empowered and, and uh, you know, that you have the tools you need to take this, uh, to take this approach. Um, yes. We've got uh, Dr. Kelly in a couple minutes until the break, but, let, you know, let's share with our listeners a little bit about some of the r- r- risk factors for developing melanoma. Do we know about risk factors and, um, you know, what, what, what are some of the, the, the preventative measures that folks can take to safeguard themselves against developing? melanoma? Mm-hmm. Well, definitely. There are some, some known, known, certainly known facts, though, as Tim mentioned, I mean, melanoma is a very elusive cancer. There's some things we know that are, are potential risk factors for it, starting with sort of a, a fair complexion, being sort of that easy-to-burn, freckly type of complexion. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's definitely there. Um, sometimes if you have a family history, um, a first-degree relative, someone with a history of melanoma, that's, you know, super, super important. Um, a risk of uh, a lot of uh, sunburns uh, as a young person, particularly yeah. before the age of 18, blistering sunburns, the ones that, you know, are really quite bad. That's important history. Um, a, a, a history of tanning bed use, that's become kind of a new risk factor that's become more publicized lately now that um, tanning beds have been declared a, a known carcinogen by the World Health Organization. Very important to let your dermatologist know if, we, even in your distant past, you had some exposure to um, tanning beds. That's, that's very important. Um, so those are some of the things to know. Um, and then, of course, once you've had one melanoma, I, I want to point out that it's, it's mm. your, your risk of developing another melanoma increases. So that's always very important history. Or a, what we call a dysplastic nevus. Um, I don't know if that's a new word um, for your listeners. but Yeah, I'm sure. A, yeah. a funny-looking mole, basically, which means that basically a mole that's been biopsied that has been found to be atypical, not melanoma, but atypical. Mm. Uh, history of having atypical moles can be a risk factor for developing and- melanoma. And just quickly, Dr. Helen, before we go to the break, we're going to go to the break in just a quick, a couple sure. quick seconds. But uh, so, so is there? Do we know? Is there a genetic link? Is there a, gen, is there a, a known genetic link to, to, with melanoma? In a certain, in a subset of melanomas, there is a known genetic link, um, but it really represents a small proportion, um, okay. and we know this. Uh, unfortunately, it's only a certain percentage, but I think that that's going to be the future of melanoma research, as, as Tim was saying, targeted therapies, mm-hmm. um, being able to figure out why do certain melanomas behave one way in one right. patient and a different way in another patient, targeted Got therapies, it. genetics, but definitely there are some patients that are definitely genetically predisposed, and in my clinic, right. I have some people who have had up to six melanomas. Great. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about melanoma. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. May is National Melanoma and Skin Cancer Awareness Month, and to kick off the month, we're dedicating today's show to discussing a cancer that will claim the lives of more than 8,000 people this year alone. Uh, We're having a great conversation. I'm kind of sad we're getting to the end of our show because it's been a really dynamic discussion, um, especially as we move into the summer months. I'm here with with Mary Ryan, living with melanoma, Dr. Elizabeth Callahan, a dermatologist in Sarasota, Florida, on the sun coast of Florida, uh, and uh, Tim Turnham, who's the executive director of the Melanoma Research Foundation and a good friend of the cancer support community. Um, I, w- I just want to go back to the conversation we were starting before the break. Dr. Callan, we talked about some, you know, per, you know, some of the risk factors, but let's get to, I want to get to two things. Number one, tell us about the importance of screening and, you know, are there any, are there guidelines about how often people should see a dermatologist or get screened? Um, let, let me just start with that question. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. The importance of screening. Basically, um, it's important to know, remember about melanoma, if you're worried about that, that it's a treatable disease if caught early. I know we said that earlier in the, in the show, but it's treatable if caught early. Um, and so if you think you've got something that um, is uh, concerning, doesn't fit the rules of ABCD that we mentioned earlier, you know, it's such a simple procedure to come in and see a dermatologist, get a head-to-toe body exam, and be reassured. I mean, it's certainly 95% of the time I reassure patients regarding different spots that they're very concerned about. Um, so I generally recommend for most people, um, especially in the Florida Sun Coast, over the age yeah. of uh, 50 or so, at least once a year, if not, yeah. or depending on how much sun exposure they've had in the past, at least once a year. And then, of course, once they've had a history of skin cancer, uh, whether it be the basal cell or melanoma variety, at least uh, every year to every six months. And then people who've had a history of melanoma, in the beginning we see them every three months, and it's really important to stick to that schedule. Mm-hmm. Is um, are, are primary care doctors trained to do these screenings? Um, that's a great question. Um, I think that my colleagues in internal medicine and family practice do a great job of uh, doing surveillance. Um, obviously, I can't do skin checks 
skin checks on everyone. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly um, they use the rules of ABCD, too, interestingly enough. So if they see something that's not like the other, something that's mm-hmm. irregular, they're going to refer it my way. But in general, if you have the opportunity to see a board-certified dermatologist, you know, I recommend that if you, if you have that option in your community. Um, but if not, you certainly can always um, see your family practice doctor if you're concerned about a spot. Now, Dr. Hillian, what about this? You know, we hear a lot of folks say, uh, vitamin D is good for you. Sun's good for you. I don't want to wear sunscreen because I need that vitamin D. I, we have a history of osteoporosis in our family or, you know, other things where, you know, I think the benefit of the vitamin D will outweigh the, the not wearing the sunscreen. Hmm. Well, I'm going to try to keep the answer to that as simple as I possibly can. Basically, you don't need sun to get your vitamin D. Mm-hmm. If you're concerned that you have a decreased vitamin D level, or it runs in your family, osteoporosis, See your regular internal medicine doctor, family practice doctor, and get your vitamin D level checked, a blood level. And if it's low, um, you can supplement with oral supplementation. There is absolutely no reason to get your vitamin D from the sun. Expose yourself to the risk of skin cancer or um, melanoma. It's as simple as that. It's the official statement of the American Academy of Dermatology. You don't need sun to get your vitamin D. So the vitamin D that you get through a oral supplement or through through diet and nutrition is the same vitamin D that you get through the sun. It's much more preferable than exposing yourself to the risk of skin cancer or melanoma. Great, great. I think that's good for I think that's good for good for people to hear. Um, Tim, we're we're unfortunately moving towards the end of the show, but I just I'd just like to hear from you, uh, Tim. What what advice you have for somebody who's been uh, who's been diagnosed with uh, with melanoma? What what tips? What advice you would share with them if they're listening today? Well, I think uh, fortunately the other guests have offered a lot of good tips and a lot of good advice. I mean, our fundamental philosophy is that a patient who is well informed and well supported has the best chance of living longer and better. So surround yourself with a support network and and get the information that you need. And, and if you can't process the information, find someone who can. Uh, there are a lot of good resources available. Um, we have a wonderful online community. It's the largest and oldest online community in the world, um, and you can access that through our website, which is just melanoma.org. Uh, there are other online communities available out there. We have a toll-free helpline, uh, and, and other helplines are available. So get the information, ask the questions, get the support that you need, and that will give you the best chance to live longer and better. And just very quickly, Mary mentioned the, the, the impact, the, the emotional impact and the psychological impact of some of, of the drugs that you take, and it's absolutely true. And, and talking to somebody who's been through that before you and to say there is a path out of this or you may try this to help remedy that side effect, that can make all the difference in the world. Someone who's been there before you uh, it can be a tremendous source of, of support. So, so tell us again, Tim, where folks can find the Melanoma Research Foundation and what, what kinds of things you're offering there. Sure. So the Melanoma Research Foundation, we have a, we have a um, uh, our website, which is just melanoma.org, and uh, and and through that website, we have a whole host of of opportunities for people to learn. We have an online community. Um, we have a toll free helpline. We have. Um, a way to find out about clinical trials where you can put the information about your particular diagnosis in there and find out mm-hmm. which trials are open and available to you. Um, and, and we have ways for people to ask questions. And, and we also provide symposia across the country at cancer centers where people can, can meet with experts. And, and you guys about. are funding research as well, Tim? We are, yes, we've been funding melanoma research for um, about 12 years, almost our entire existence. We've spent millions of dollars in a, a peer-reviewed grant program to fund research 
because we believe that that's really going to be the answer to finding uh, better treatments and cures. And most recently, we have pulled a group of top-notch melanoma oncologists together to work collaboratively to look at clinical trials using combinations of drugs because the real answer to effective treatment is not going to be found through one drug but by combining two or more drugs together. And that's not happening quickly enough, so we want to make that happen faster. So, Mary, just quickly, because we are almost at the end of our time here, uh, uh, advice for someone who's been diagnosed with melanoma? Uh, First of all, I'd say that um, it's fantastic that there is a month dedicated to education, but Mm. what you'll learn quickly as you get into it is that um, wearing sunscreen and being aware of your skin is a year-round thing. It's not mm-hmm. just a phenomena of watch out for summertime burns. Yes. Um, if possible, and this is how I found out about the cancer support community of North Texas, I asked friends to help me because I was struggling, and I said, I know that there has got to be a support group out there. And um, they were able to find Gilda's Club online, and then um, eventually when I went, it was, it was probably one of the most important parts of my treatment. And then after the fact, as I've, you know, gone through a series of, you know, things still get biopsied, and I'm yes. everything from malignancies to squamous to uh, dysplas- dysplasia, um, the support group has turned out to be uh, fabulous for information that you wouldn't even realize that you could get. For instance, the chemo that I was on thins your hair, but it doesn't make your hair fall out. Well, I was able to ask the ladies in my support group who have breast cancer uh, what they did to help their hair grow back, and there's a there's a shampoo that they all highly recommended. Mm, um, yep. And then, you know, I always have dry mouth, and there was a gentleman in my group that um, was having issues with that because of his treatment. And, you know, you get in there, and it's not just about your right. particular cancer. Right. That's right. That's right. No, I think that's great advice, um, Mary, certainly. Um, uh, you know, I, I think we we ran at the cancer support community last year. I think we ran over twelve thousand support group sessions um, oh, at our fantastic. at our affiliates across the country. We've got fifty centers across the country where folks can go for free support and and, and uh, education, nutrition, uh, exercise programs, people with all cancers, including melanoma for loved ones, um, family members. Caregivers, uh, we'd, we'd love for you to visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Um, you can order the booklet I mentioned earlier, the Frankly Speaking About Cancer booklet. It's about melanoma. It's a free booklet that provides information and tools to become empowered as you uh, navigate a diagnosis of melanoma. Um, I, w- I want to thank our wonderful guests today, Mary Ryan, Dr. Elizabeth Callahan, and Tim Turnham. It's been a uh, very educational uh, session, a lively session, and um, I certainly learned uh, a great deal. I, um, I'm, I know that our listeners uh, did as well. Um, in, in the spirit of the discussion today, I want to dedicate the show to everyone who is um, dealing with a, a diagnosis of melanoma. We want to let folks know, um, you know, at, at the cancer support community, we want folks know that, to know that you do not um, have to face cancer alone. Um, that you can get connected. There are communities of support, communities of hope. Um, again, we'd ask you to visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. We'd uh, welcome you to visit our friends at the Melanoma Research Foundation, um, and their website is melanoma.org. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. 
Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. support 